this is Marissa. This is Denise. And we are, are you there, God? It's us, the book bitches. Today we are talking about a book that I highly anticipated and picked up in 2021 called The Other Black Girl. I like how you said in 2021. We're not in 2021. (laughs) This year has been like four years long. But before we get But weirdly enough, August went so fast. Listen. It did. Don't interrupt me ever again. (laughs) But before we get into that, what have you been reading this week? Um, I actually finished two books this week. The first one was Free Food for Millionaires. I think if you like interconnected, not interconnected storylines, if you actually just like kind of life drama where, you know, okay, here's the thing. Okay. As someone in their 20s who also has no idea what the fuck is ever going on, (laughs) I think if you like stories like that, or if you yourself are that person, you may like this book. The other book I read this week was Verity. I saw it on Book Talk. It's supposed to be like this thriller, this horror. Um, it's about an author who has gotten into a tragic car accident. And someone comes to ghostwrite or basically co-write the rest of her series with her and finds a disturbing manuscript. The manuscript was, it was disturbing, but I felt like, I don't know, people were like, it pulled no punches. And I was like, oh, it was all right. The Exorcist pulled them punches. Yeah, that really didn't pull any punches. <laughs> um, so what did you read this week? I read another one from the Lou Archer series. It's by Ross McDonald. It's hard-boiled detective fiction. The first one I read was from 1950. I managed to choose one from 1973. Nice. Um, and in that big gap, like, the one in 1950 was great, but this one, Sleeping Beauty, was amazing. I didn't see the ending coming. I thought the writing was great. His characters were even better than the first one I read. So I really want to dive into this series because I think it's going to be a great series to read. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what I read. I actually read another one, but I can't even go into it because I didn't like it that much. <laughs> um, we also sometimes hate books. It's fair. So what, but like, what's a book that you've hated recently? Like you absolutely just like couldn't, you would give it to an enemy, if you will. Um, I would actually give them the whole Jonathan Kellerman series. <laughs> that man wrote. You keep reading them. No, no, no. So maybe I you stopped. don't hate them. I stopped. Okay, and then I got rid of all like 16. Of, so. I know because I kept giving them a chance. Like Hannibal. Well. She keeps watching Hannibal, and every episode she's like, I don't know, I just really don't like it. But I'm she's three seasons in. I love the last season. That makes I'm no sense like, for you. I'm still, like, not sure if I like it or not. You're a dumbass. <laughs> What's a book you would give your worst enemy? So I read this book. It was on Oprah's list, okay? I don't know who the fuck liked it. It's called An American Marriage. And yes, I am talking shit, because I know it was, like, beloved. People love this book. I, here's the thing. It's not that it was a bad book. Very beautifully written. The entire plot's very relevant. Very timely. I just... I just hated every single character. I disliked everybody in that book. I thought everybody was just a shit. And I just... Like, I... It's not fair of me to give it a bad review. It's not a bad book. But I just did not care for anybody. And it made me feel hateful towards marriage. (laughs) You guys, the vibe was bad. Maybe if you like marriage drama, maybe if you are someone who's a little more compassionate than me, 
Or a marriage counselor. Or a marriage counselor. You may be into it. Because it was very complex. It's beautifully written. It, it really, truly is. But I just did not like fucking anybody. So we also this week watched the most recent Candyman oh movie. I will shout it from the rooftops. Candyman is my favorite horror movie, like, forever. I want to know more about, like, his costuming. Like, he looks slick. He's got... Uh, I know he has, like, a hook hand. It's, like, a, it's a stump. It's, like, bloody. It's... Uh, but he's wearing a dope-ass coat that in the coat first one. really nice. He looks slick. Like, yes, I see the hook. But if we could just cover... If you squint your eye, close your left eye, and look at him and avoid the hook, he's a nicely dressed man. He's dapper. No, I agree. And, He's well, also very sexy in that first mu- movie. Like, there's a lot of sexy vibes. They're, the vibes are so weird so and sexy. sexy. Very but sexy. that's very much, like, 80s horror movies. Yeah, the 80s loved sexy horror movies. I was into it. I mean, I, I And I, I love also it. thought the main character was really beautiful. But to go on to the new one, mm-hmm. I was not expecting a sequel. No, we thought it was going to be, like, a reboot. We thought it was just going to be kind of, like, kind of connected to the first one. And it was so interconnected with the first one. I did not anticipate that. I thought that everything about kind of like that twist, that connection to the first movie, the storytelling that the first movie didn't necessarily give you. Like, yes, there was storytelling. There was was the storytelling because you have Anthony's mom who tells you the story of Candyman. Right. She, you know, she invites her into her apartment when she goes to, yeah, when she goes to visit Cabrini Green, when they're at dinner with Burke and she gets the story there. There is that element of storytelling. Don't get me wrong. I cannot, I can't stress that enough. But there was something about the way that it was written for the new movie that the storytelling is just absolutely captivating. No, yeah, well, and I think because of the visuals and the music and the actors, the, shadow, the way they told the, sh- the stories. The fucking shadow puppets. That oh, was, I know. This, it was, like, everything I wanted to follow up the first Candyman, because I love it, and it is so creatively done. And they said, we're going to forget every other Candyman sequel. Oh, that's fair. They should. No, they, they should. should. <laughs> I just really liked the mythology that they yeah. created by connecting the two movies. Well, and, like, the the next Candyman movies became just really slasher without kind of kind of ignoring, like, the premise of the first one. Yeah. Which Helen gives up her life for the baby, and that's really significant. That was... Yeah, I mean, that was, like... Oh, man, that, that was a bummer of and ending. Then, but then, you know, in the new one, and if you go see the new one... I'm not spoiling anything. This comes up in the first 20 minutes. Um, the story regarding Helen is kind of like villainous. Like some people view her She's as sinister. like the villain or the sinister person as part of the story. And then when other people tell it, they're like, oh, actually, here's the story with Candyman. And I really appreciated that. You know who the real, real villain her in the husband? first? Yes. Her, her husband sucked. Her husband was the worst. But, um, what I was going to say with the second And he one. was ugly. Oh, I know. The audacity. And she was beautiful. She's fucking gorgeous. Like, really? Like, you look at her face, she looks like an angel. And then she has her ugly little husband, troll husband, walking around like he's big shit. And he's just cheating on her with children. I mean, they're not children. But, like, his college students in undergrad. Like, sir, get a life. You're a cliche. (laughs) 
No, really. <laughs> no, for real. I have a couple things to say about that, but anyways. No, um, I thought the new one, it just, you know, and then the writing was great. The cinematography, the music, the music for every single one of the movies that Jordan Peele has been involved with is so, so good. good. It's so good. And I have no complaints. I have no criticisms of this movie. And you know what? I do have a complaint. I have the complaint. You know my complaint. My complaint is that when we got it from the movie <laughs> and the couple next to us, the guy asked his girlfriend, oh, like, what did you think? She's like, I thought it was okay. You know what? You need to go sit in a corner and think about that. No, it's true. The three writers really play into the tragedy of Candyman and what him being a black man means. Right. And um, if you were like, damn it, they talked about Candyman for five minutes and we, so I bring up Candyman and there's a reason I bring him up is uh, him up, just him singularly. I just, just bring him, him up because um, I bring up the movie and the franchise purely because the book that we're actually talking about today is a thriller written by a black woman. So today we're talking about The Other Black Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris. So the synopsis for this book. The Goodreads Goodreads description describes this book as a combo of Get Out and The Stepford Wives. And like, honestly, that's actually a pretty good combo. In this book, we are introduced to Nella, a 26-year-old editorial assistant at Wagner Books. As a side note, though, I would also like to say that as myself being a 28-year-old woman and not having anywhere near what I thought I would have at 28 years old. Not that I'm lacking necessarily, but like I'm starting over my career. I'm going back to school. Like I'm just, I feel like I'm in this transition period again. And I am a big fan of like millennial writing where it's like, hey, your life is starting over again. Or like you haven't gotten it completely together. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I just really appreciate that. But anyways... So, Nella gets a new cubicle neighbor, Hazel, who's exciting for Nella because there are no other black women at Wagner Books. And she refers to her as the other black girl with a sigh of relief. Shortly after Hazel's arrival, Nella starts getting ominous notes saying, leave Wagner now. And Hazel gets fucking weird real fast. In a series of twists and turns, you find out the real intentions of Hazel at Wagner, as well as this huge secret and science fiction plot that I frankly was not expecting. Yeah, that was... Okay, so listen. This seemed like a typical thriller. Mm -hmm. And then, all of a sudden, it really veered into science fiction, kind of dystopian. Yeah. It took, like, a hard freaking left. And so I think this book um, confused a lot of people because it doesn't necessarily stick to the genre they chose to market it as. Yeah, so if you saw this book marketed at all, it was definitely marketed as a hard thriller. And I had a hard time with that because even Book of the Month, um, they, they said... They categorized it under thriller. Well, and then they said social commentary. And then they said um, something else. And I was but like, they I don't also know said about science fiction, which yeah. is the science fiction one I get. So I think already starting out from just you know reading about this book it's totally different than what you think it's going to be mm-hmm. it's unexpected and i think that's a plus i think that works in its favor that it ends up being this totally unique journey um to figure out what's going on with hazel the other black girl mm-hmm. just a disclaimer we are not black i feel like that is pretty clear given that the cover of our <laughs> 
If you've ever looked at the cover. If you've looked at us, we are actually Hispanic and white. Right. So we're white Latinas. Um, We do not purport to be anything else. And so some of this, this book we actually did more research on. More so because this isn't something that we can necessarily relate to as to people who are white. So we're going to try our best in this podcast to cover things that are more related to white supremacy rather than try to speak on anything regarding black culture or blackness because we are not black we don't yeah there's definitely like a boundary right and so we just want to throw that out there um just in case anybody thought we were going to pretend to be experts we are not we are definitely just two people who really enjoyed this book oh yeah for sure Okay. So um, I kind of want to start with, if you will, the reviews of this book. Oh my god, those were so So, they're okay. The reviews are hard for me. I don't love reading reviews a lot of the time. No, that's not true. I like to read reviews because I like to see other people's perspective. And a lot of times people can articulate something that maybe I couldn't put my finger on or couldn't myself think of. Yes. And so the reviews for this book were were so freaking mixed. There was a lot of hate for this book. And for some things that I felt were valid, some that I saw and have no place to comment on, and some that I straight up thought were just wrong. And I just, like, just some of them were wrong. And my first thought is this. Obviously, you don't have to, like, every single book you read. I don't think that... No, 100%. Especially if you're a reader, you're going to read books that you actually don't... Unless you're super picky and you pick things that you can guarantee you'll like. But even with that, there's no guarantee. I have a box of books with books I didn't care for that I read this year. Right. The thing is, you don't have to like every book. But I think to write a review that comes from a place of expectation with an author... For example, they didn't write this the way I wanted it to be written is both weird and is, and entitled as fuck. Like, honestly, you cannot like a book and that's okay. That's your opinion. But for you to be like, well, the author didn't do it the way that I wanted them to do it. That's weird. You're just, you're kind of a weirdo for that. I think there's a difference between saying the stylistic choices and the writing was objectively not well done. And there's... Like, that's different than saying, that's a, I didn't like that's this. That's a critical so, review of style or... Right. I didn't like this. I didn't like the stylistic choices she made. And so I'm giving the book two stars. Yeah. I think that you can definitely not like a book. That's fine. But I think if you're reviewing the book, I don't think it's fair to be like, well, I didn't like the writing, so it's a bad book. Right. And this book garnered a lot of... <laughs> This is my issue. This book got a lot of reviews that were like two stars, three stars. And honestly, the reviews ended up being like, I just didn't like this book. I, I just didn't, didn't like, like how the, the author character. wrote it. I didn't like the main character. Well, that's not really a critical analysis of the book. It's also not really a good review. Yeah, I think, here's my thing. There's a difference between reviewing books and like reviewing um, clothes, mm-hmm. right? Clothes, you can say, this didn't look flattering on me. The this, material sucks. The material's weird. It clings weird. You know, whatever. You can say really, like, those are helpful reviews for clothing. That does not For books, work because for books. everything is so objective. It just, it, this garnered a mostly middling reputation, and I got it. So here's the thing. I will say that it is a de- debut novel. 
and I have noticed a pattern, especially with more recent debut novels that I've I've read, which I've in recent memory read probably like four or five debut novels. Mm-hmm. All of them do the same thing. They overwrite. There's too much explanation. There's too much writing. Some of the storyline or plot could have been streamlined, I feel. I also thought some of the transitions, so in this book there are transitions to other storylines um, that come up and are relevant to the current storyline with Nella. I thought some of those transi- transitions to other characters and timelines were a little weak. They should have had more of a, I feel like, more of a punchier and harder transition because there was some confusion with switching between timelines and a re-reminder of characters and just things like that. I thought the transitions could have been better. I don't know about that one. I, well, I hear what you're fine. saying, but and I do understand what you're saying because the transitions were definitely a different style but I actually really liked the transitions um because I felt like it was so different like I don't think I've read people kind of dip out of one narrative stream and go into another with like so little right um, yeah totally yeah so I um, liked it I also kept seeing the comment where was the editor and I didn't understand this this book wasn't bad it wasn't grammatically bad. It wasn't contextually bad. It wasn't anything that I thought was horrible. Again, I thought maybe some of this the writing could have been streamlined. That's right. my major complaint. Well, but that comment came from the fact that this, that Nella receiving Leave Wagner Now notes was a big turning point in the plot. And that was very clear in the book's blurb. And I think people felt like that should have come up sooner than at 100 pages into the novel. Well, I don't agree. But that's that's what I think that came from. Yeah. Um, this was also, and I, I think this was also the fault of its advertisement. This book kind of fell at its knees because it was heavily advertised as a thriller. I just don't think they knew how and to advertise it. And I think it. it was a thriller. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But it was more of a psychological slow burn thriller. And I think that you're right. The note, Lee Wagner now, the whole catalyst of the story, if you will, doesn't come into like 100 pages in the book. And yeah, that is kind of like, you think that's going to come up much sooner. I did too. Mm-hmm. But it is really slow freaking burn the whole time. I did not think that was a bad thing. So with that being said, I think people had different expectations. I think that's why this ended up with a lot of two-star, three-star reviews. However, I saw some fucked up reviews that I was like, what did these people read? Hold on. Before you go quoting the reviews, I want to talk about just this had three and a half stars in Goodreads. That book, Black Buck, which... So Black Buck was a novel that came out 2020. It was also highly anticipated. It kind of, if you haven't seen the movie, Sorry to Bother You. That's what it's called. Yes. With Lakeith Stanfield. Um, fun fact, Lakeith Stanfield is from Riverside. Fun and he fact. lived in San Bernardino for yeah. some time. He's he's from around here. Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is, and I think he's so freaking handsome. Yes. The point is, if you didn't see Sorry to Bother You, Black Buck, I feel like also had that similar vibe of like black man making his way into corporate America, kind of with this like facade. But so did but so did the other black girl as well. And so did the other black girl as well. But which I thought, but Black Buck had the worst 
dialogue writing I have read. It was very weak. It was weak dialogue writing. This guy I felt like was literally using stereotypes to write every character. Uh, yeah. It was just super trite. It was super cliched. I did not understand why people liked it at all because I thought the writing was bad. And it garnered a 4.5. Yeah, and it got like a 4.5. And I don't understand. I was like, I can't even get into the book because I think the, the writing itself was just not good. Right. And I think that when you have a review, writing counts. A hundred percent. Well, okay. And the then... other black girl was actually very well written. Oh, a hundred percent. Her writing is And great. she got these middling reviews, whereas Black Buck had piece of crap writing, which I was kind of, I was disappointed with because I was like reading the guy's blurb and he's a writer and he has a master's. And I was like, your dialogue is for shit. Oh, but for some reason, the other black girl like garnered like a lot of ire and like complaints and that's so com- confusing to me because I, don't I find felt it like confusing i'm gonna tell okay, you why i don't well, find it confusing i know the other black girl also kind of touches on the idea of like feminism black that is feminism, so yeah. hard for people so hard for people as soon as you say the word feminist people get up in fucking arms and i get it we're gonna discuss that later on so regarding that one review I saw. Oh my god. The guy wrote, I think this was black si- satire, a genre I hate, which is fine. You can hate that particular genre. But it was absolutely not black si- satire. And just because you think it is doesn't make that true at all. This wasn't satire. In fact, the author said, yes, it's exaggerated. But this is also based on my experience. If I was in, okay, listen, if I was in one of my grad classes for English, uh, I could see someone making the argument that the corporate aspects of this book leaned into satirical. I could see that. That does not make this book satire, All the way though. satire? No, I wouldn't even market it under that genre at all. I wouldn't have ever. Um, <laughs> and then another one. Oh my god. <laughs> this review confused me. No. It was a younger woman who wrote, Hazel wasn't that bad. What? The obvious... The obvious villain of this book wasn't that bad and i was like way to out yourself as being an asshole because hazel was a jerk i just think okay not to spoil no spoiler alerts but hazel is definitely part of this like very nefarious plot against black women okay hazel also is a black woman and that we'll get into that later on right but she's part of this very nefarious plot against other black women and here's the thing she's a bitch like, that's the no, whole yeah. thing. She's a huge jerk. And for someone to write in a review, I don't think she was that bad. Maybe you need to figure out what, like, what, what is your problem? Because she was that bad. Are you underhanded even, at your corporate yeah, job? Even at, like, the base level of, like, take away the, like, plot of, like, mm-hmm. her doing these evil things against other women. Yeah. I just am confused about that review. She was, like, in general, someone that you wouldn't want to be friends with at your job. Yeah, because she was a snake. Yeah. And, and then it wasn't just like added she was, the whole plot. It wasn't plot. like she was, like, kind of a snake, like, immediately. No, um, it was immediate. A snake and a half. And anyways, so I just... So some so when I say... Okay, so to be clear, audience, when I say that I think that reviews can be very biased and they don't come from a neutral standpoint and they're actually not very critical reviews, what I mean by that is that you are coming from your own weird biases 
And that's fine. Have your own opinion. Read the book. Everybody will read the book through their own lens and their own perspective. I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. But you don't get to review the book and judge it as bad because you read it through your perspective. I think that that's, like, not liking something doesn't make it bad. Yeah. Hey, guys, we've, like, (laughs) we've had to take, like, six breaks. So... (laughs) Again, we're struggling. Well, I'm struggling. Denise had a gallon of water. And that's my trick. That's my not hang non trick. Here's the thing. I know that I should drink water, but I was so intent on not being conscious that I just had to get into bed. <laughs> and I am having the worst issues. Like my stomach is struggling. We had to stop so I could get antacids. And I just I remember when I was young. <laughs> Um, I also started work this week at Torrid, so that is like my fat girl dream. I've always wanted to work at Torrid. I started work this week. I was, I'm so fucking down. I actually really like working retail. I didn't, I didn't like anybody at Walmart, but I liked working in apparel. Um, maybe both. Customers are people. I'm sorry. Customers are employees. (laughs) (laughs) Customers are literal demons when they walk into Walmart. (laughs) The only thing I liked out of Walmart were the service dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And the one guy, the homeless man, Mr. Jingles. Wait, was that that the one that I don't know if that was his name? Yeah, he exercised a demon from the bathroom once. So they gave him a flashlight? He asked for a flashlight. He came out. I was. Going to the back to clock out from the hell that was called Walmart. And he came out of the bathroom and was like, hey, I just exercised a demon in there. And I was like, whoa. No way. Because I actually, you can ask Denise, I have a really, so when people are really, like, strange, I only encourage them. Because I have no idea what to do other than be really nice. You're so receptive. Yeah, I get really receptive Anyways, he came out and he was like, yeah, I exercise this demon. Can I have this little flashlight? And he had one of those, like, pocket flashlights. And I was like, I was going to say yes. Because <laughs> I felt like he did us a favor. <laughs> that was very kind of him. But I don't have the authority to do so. So I was like, let me just grab a manager really fast. And the manager was like, yeah, you can just take that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, wouldn't you do that if someone said... I don't even think I would have grabbed a manager and I was, I would have been like, yeah, that's fine. That's because, there. no, the only reason I did was because there were other people there. Oh, okay, And I wasn't fair, trying to get fair. somebody to daddle on me. Yeah. People are snitches. And bitches. Anyways, so I started work again at Torrid and I'm so freaking excited. It's just my dream. I don't know where I was going with this. What was I going to relate it to? You weren't going to relate. You just started talking about how you're struggling. Oh, because I'm old. Oh, because <laughs> I was because I was struggling. So, the girl I was training with was like something, something, something. Yeah, my husband. Blah 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 blah. And she's like, yeah, because I just turned twenty, and I was like, what the, f- what, <laughs> what? So then I I later on I was like, yeah, I'm like closer to thirty than I am to twenty, and she was like, you don't even look old, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> is that 
what I am to you? <laughs> Your skin's gonna start peeling off when you turn 30. Like, like, the minute I you turn 30. I hope I don't look old. I'm still in my 20s. No, it's like that tweet I sent you the other day where they were like, do they expect women to turn decrepit the she second they go me. into their 30s? But, uh, but at night, after drinking, I do feel decrepit. Like, my body is turning against me. I already told you about my creepy reptile skin that I woke up with this morning. <laughs> so, okay. Going back to the reviews, I would like to make this comment in an interview with NPR. Harris talks about how her former workplace was the inspiration for this. She says a lot of it is fiction, a lot of is a lot of it is exaggeration. I fortunately did not have it nearly as bad as Nella does. I also wasn't the only black person where I worked. I was still one of few, not many, and the only black woman in an editorial. So that part of looking around the table and not seeing anyone who looked like me, that part was very real. But the characters were very much a fun amalgamation of certain quirks, certain conversations I've overheard, all those zany hijinks that you see in an office where you're close with other people like that. So that element was pretty on point. So in response to the man that said this is black satire... (laughs) I just like to say, no, she based it off her actual life. And I would also like to say, um, in reading this book, so you're introduced to Nella. And we're going to start talking a little bit about Nella's character here. But we're talking about a 26-year-old woman who's an editorial assistant for a white woman. Mm -hmm. That is significant. Um, And I, we were talking about this earlier. I had told you Nella's character was hard for me. I felt that she was kind of timid. She got in the way of herself. She has her boyfriend, Owen. He's mm-hmm. a white boyfriend. She has her best friend. And she's kind of passive, not passive, kind of. So again, kind of that millennial generation of like Twitter and Instagram and that kind of like becoming like internet activists. They're more so, outspoken yeah, on the internet than mo- you are. more outspoken on the internet than you are in real life. And I really liked Nella. I just, I had to get, I had to take a minute. I think the difference between sometimes when you read a timid or like passive character and Nella is that her passivity comes from a a specific fear of being too loud, outspoken, or seen as angry. Um... That's a very specific fear that black women face in the corporate world. Well, and then you have Nella, who at the beginning of the book, it talks about how she was basically trying to have these like critical race theory kind of meetings with her all white office. Right. And, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And they were all like gung ho when that that shit went down. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, as people do, lost interest. Right. And and. Like, they didn't change their ways at all. They didn't change their ways, and I think that's really reflective of, I said as people do, but, like, as people who have the privilege to ignore things do. Which we saw with, you know, the really riled up um, social outrage on Instagram. And we saw that in real time, like, after George Floyd protests really took off, you know, that has dwindled down to absolutely nothing at well, this point point. and even you know the entire george floyd floyd ordeal it was like oh did that guy get a conviction did the officer get a conviction 
How right. did that, you know what I mean? And it was kind of, that was like the wrap up for everyone. Keeping in mind that her passivity is, has a specific, there's a specific reasoning behind it. I want to talk about this really significant event. It happened pretty early in the book. With one of the um, publication houses, significant authors, Colin, white man author. That's his what official his last, last name? name. No, that's, a, that's his official <laughs> last name. white guy. Colin, typical white man author. <laughs> he what? Oh, my God. His okay. whole thing made me so angry. And so before I get into the specifics of the situation, I have notes. I wrote notes on this. I had a lot of thoughts. And I, I want to start by contextualizing this situation, this book, with something I call the Stephen King effect. Mm-hmm. Stephen King has always maintained... That he, as a writer, as an artist, is allowed to write about anyone he should choose to. Mm-hmm. I read this in specifically regards to a story where he writes from the perspective of an elderly gay man who grew up during the AIDS crisis. It's a weird... Okay, and he defended his ability to tactic. write about, like, write as this man gay man who grew up during the AIDS crisis okay and so I think what people need to understand is there's a difference between you are allowed to write as as this character versus you are allowed to speak on certain issues this character may face Mm -hmm. okay and the I saw the best in terms of like well and I'll explain it so on Twitter I saw the best way most concise way to explain this and it's for example if you want to write a trans character you can but you should not write that the trans character's main struggle is with transness if you are not necessarily a trans author. And especially if you have not done any research on what it means to be a trans person. Mm. If you don't have any, if you're just, if your entire character is only based on stereotypes, maybe you should rethink about who you're writing. Mm. That's fair. There's just a level of research that you could do in order to write such a book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But to go in there with no experience and to, you know, feel confident about writing a character that you a mi- that's part of a minority group and you're a white person and you don't know anything about that minority group, that's fucking crazy of you. <laughs> you have crazy. to be fucking ballsy to do that because you are just literally going in there on vibes <laughs> and stereotypes. <laughs> All vibes, no thoughts. And so I understand what Stephen King is saying. He's trying to protect artistic integrity. Okay. But I don't necessarily agree with it because I think it ignores... I think it's hard to make that argument. ...like specific instances of where people have done this, and Mm -hmm. it's fucking offensive. So going back to the author in this book, Colin. So in The Other Black Girl, Nella's editorial assistant to... Do you remember the... Vera. Vera who is meeting with this yeah it's Vera fancy white lady yeah Vera fancy white lady she's meeting with Colin white guy writer typical white typical white guy writer and they're discussing his new book which is in part about the opioid crisis Uh in In the United States in the United States um it's called it's not pins and needles it's needles and pins so I guess he wanted to get I don't know what the hell he was referencing. Like, needles, like... So he's writing this book. It's about the opioid crisis. It's affected, you know, as we know, it's affected a number of people. Nella's biggest issue with the novel is his single black woman character who he named 
It's so controversial. Like, why he went this way? Chartricia Daniels. Yeah, and it was because the mom couldn't spell chartreuse. And that was the color. Hold on. That was the color of the dress she was wearing when she went in labor in a dance club. I just couldn't. I just, can't believe the disrespect. Okay. Yeah, like a nine month pregnant woman was going to be in a she dance was in club. A club. Yeah. The Screw this guy. Like, I can't. So this character is in Colin's new book. And actually, Vera had him introduce this, this character in the second draft of this novel. And so now is the time when And him, it was kind of like to meet a quota. Yeah, Make basically sure the put, diversity put one quota. black person in there. Yeah. This situation begins. It's time for his final edits. This is going to be a knockout hit for him. And he comes to the office. He's waiting for his edits. Vera is just gushing about the book. It's so great, Colin. And they turn to Nella. And Nella's like, well, here's the thing. This character is less than one-dimensional. He made the character 19, mm-hmm. pregnant with a fifth child. Oh my god, that was ridiculous. So, okay. Um, she I'm has two baby daddies happen. who left on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, her name, which is a significant character point. Which is also supposed to be, you know, when you see those very, like, creative names in, like, the black community. Mm-hmm. He It was like he wanted to riff off of that, but his was just so damn... Well, disrespectful. And this quote best sums up how I feel about this character. This is what Nella says about her. She felt like a collection of tropes and all of the unflattering ones. She never becomes a redeemable character and she's still stuck at the end of the novel. Yeah. No, she was definitely like a gross stereotypical character that this white guy came up with as if he's never seen like a black woman before and the worst part of this is in the conversation prior to her revealing how she feels about this character he makes it clear he did not interview people he didn't research like some of the most significant parts of his story came from childhood recollections of his neighbors he got who were alcoholics he really irritated not me. he was like addicts. yeah i just felt like i drew from my own childhood in which i never saw anybody on opioids except I have... for my neighbors who were alcoholics now don't get me wrong <laughs> there was a significant and there is a significant opioid crisis in the united states but it's like he just but made he was shit up like, out of thin hey, air i've actually never had <laughs> never had any, any contact with, with anyone this. so on top of already writing this offensive book because you actually have no hand in what this crisis may look like now you've also added the extra layer of racism because you've created a black character that has no bearing on what a real person would look like he just sucks and so Nella's criticism is black people will not be happy with this character they will not relate to this character when reading this book the scene goes off the rails she says something along the lines of you couldn't have been more creative when creating your only black person character and that's a fair that's fair and so of course this turns into two things vera says that she's being a little bit racist I don't know what that <laughs> means. I, I read, read it and, and I was like, like, what? I can't. She was like, isn't it racist that you're saying that? And I was like, to whom? To point out that he wrote a crappy character? Right. Nella's black. Secondly, Colin accuses her of calling him racist. And as they quipped before the scene, her and her friend, white people think that being called racist is the equivalent of being called the N-word. They no, lose their fucking minds. 
Um, and you and know that he does. He does. He literally he throws a fit in the book. You see, she ends up apologizing to this man twice, and that is so far from being acceptable. But it is like it's not the first time we have seen stories of black women in corporate settings where they're saying, "Hey, non-black person, something you said is funky and racist." And, you know, they have to apologize. They face the consequences of finally standing up for themselves and their culture. Mm -hmm. The fallout from that is Vera is very cold to her after that. It seems like she has no chance of promoting anytime soon. And it's just a bummer. Right. But I think that also goes hand in hand with, you know, black corporate America is different than white corporate America. Yes. And you have to work 16 times harder to get anywhere. Yeah. So I think that we see a lot of Nella's character revealed in this particular incident in that she is almost very passive. And this is the turning point where she's like, I'm not going to be passive anymore. And it she's blows punished up in her freaking it. face. And then the notes start appearing. Yes. Hazel's now working there. The experience with Hazel is interesting and she's just a villain. And with this particular part of Colin's book... Mm -hmm. Hazel is also like, man, because Nella goes to her basically venting about the situation. Hazel's like, give me the manuscript. I'll look at it, you know, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And then maybe I could talk to Vera, too. And turns it around (laughs) on Nella and is like, no, I think this black character's fine. I'll just give you some suggestions. But you know what? I think this is a great character. I think we should keep her in the book. Right. And basically pulls the rug out from underneath Nella and makes her seem crazy. Right. Makes her seem like she's overreacting. And Hazel works in almost these, like, petty microaggressions. At Nella's expense. And that's her that's her purpose, really. And getting into Hazel's character. So there is this nefarious plot against black women mm-hmm. in corporate America. Yes. And we won't get into, like, what the whole twist is, how it's working, but basically there is this science fiction aspect And black women are being turned into women that are palatable to white America, but are willing to kind of manipulate their way up to the top by pretending to agree with white people Mm -hmm. all the way there. Well, and not disrupt this white supremacy. And not disrupt the the white supremacy pyramid. So Nella and Hazel, two parallel characters. Nella is intent on breaking this white supremacy in corporate America. Hazel comes in, and very quickly you see that Hazel is not. She wants to work her way to the top, and she will not break white supremacy. Now, something you need to understand about Hazel's character is that that's the point. Right. That's why it's, it's part of the plot. It's part of the plot. Hazel is doing something in the background that you're not really con- confirmed with. Nothing is confirmed until the end you of the kind story. You see the inner workings of the plot, but not quite what you're it is. You're not sure what it is, but you know that Hazel is up to no good trying to either take over Nella's spot, make her leave Wagner, or something else entirely different, but you're you not sure. Know she's you just know she's her. she's terrorizing her and she's shady as hell. Yes. Alongside of this, you have a plotline from 1983. Mm-hmm. In 1983, Wagner Books actually edited a very famous book by a black author, Diana Gordon. Diana Gordon. Kendra Ray was her editor. Was her editor who is also a black woman. Kendra Ray has this entire controversy mm-hmm. who comes out because she says publicly, I don't want to work with white authors. 
I just want to edit black authors. This is in the 80s. And this is the 80s. Kendra Ray has disappeared. Nobody knows where she is. Some think she's dead. She's gone underground, though, for other purposes. And that's where you start getting into where the plot thickens. And you get into the science fiction thriller aspect. So on one surface, the book is about corporate America. Mm Mm-hmm. The second layer of it, it's this thriller that's actually talking about black women in corporate America in this thriller science fiction way. And I think without getting too far into the plot, without spoiling any of it, because it is very easy to spoil this book. That's why it's very hard to talk about specific plot points because you don't want to spoil it. Basically, you have two forces fighting for the black women of corporate America. But one side, the good side, is trying to make black women be true to themselves and be black women. Right. Without having to conform to white supremacy, without having to conform to white culture. Well, they're looking to change the world, not black women. The other side is looking to change black women so they can rise to the top in an unjust world. And it's not... And it's using them as tools of white supremacy. Yeah, it's not working to change the world. It's keeping those structures in place, those power structures. Another issue that I felt like this book brought up was the issue of feminism and what it looks like for different people. Um, I have often been reluctant to call myself a feminist. Not because I hate women. (laughs) It's it's definitely not that. Um, It's actually hard because when you say that you're a feminist, people conjure up this very specific image. And it's like those pink pussy hats. It's free the nipple. It's... A lot of times disconnected from reality Mm -hmm. I feel like Um, and that's where you get that white feminism I do call myself a feminist a feminist with the disclaimer of I am an intersectional feminist if you don't know who Kimberly Crenshaw is she's a black woman who coined the term intersectional feminism it's a feminism that takes into account race class sexual orientation and with taking those things into account also advocates for equity versus equality and we can talk about white privilege that's something that when i say it people get very upset about i came from recently a former christian organization where i worked for many years and in a conversation with the pastor i was asking what does the bible say about privilege how does it acknowledge it and you know how do we broach those subjects as a Christian. Because let's be honest, those are things that exist. A hundred percent. And I would be hard pressed as someone who is religious to say that God's never mentioned them one time. I don't think that's real. Not even one time. He said, well, let's not call it privilege. I don't understand the point of calling it something else. It is a privilege. He said, it's a buzzword. You know, what do you mean when you say privilege? And I was like, well, it's, it's access to things. And he's like, oh, well, let's call it that. No, it's a privilege. I'm not going to say something that makes people more comfortable. Let's call a spade a spade. Privilege is privilege. So when I look at this book, The Other Black Girl, I feel like it's important to acknowledge that we kind of see like white feminism with Vera, her editor, right? Mm -hmm. Because we kind of see that rah, rah, women can do it, but only if you're a white woman. Right. And that's the truth of corporate America. I mean, even if we talk about, fuck, we talk about the election, Donald Trump didn't get into office because of white males. He also got in there because of white women. 
Well, and if we want to talk about what's happening in Texas right now. With the abortion That laws. did not just happen because of white men. I am so sorry to tell you guys. It white women white were women. also a part of that decision. So, something that I think is important when we talk about feminism is that you need to acknowledge the privilege that you have. Right. With that being said, when you're looking at the world of literature, and you as someone who has a master's in English mm-hmm. probably have recognized this, there is a lot of nepotism, there's a lot of power structures that exist that are completely in favor of white men well, in literature. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you just have to look at who majority gets published. Right. Like, why is that the default? Why is reading it's about always. white people the default? And I, th- I think I mentioned it on the last podcast, and if I didn't, uh, I'm mentioning it here. In the last couple years, I have made it very specific to read women and read women of color and reading more black women. And honestly, yeah, man, I, I don't get it. <laughs> like, Well, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't uh, understand the, the drive for white male authors to be classics. I don't understand it either, but even something like the genre of horror with that push of people of color um, coming out with more horror novels in the mm-hmm. re- more, more recent years, that shit is good. No, I it's know. the richness and depth that is coming out of the horror genre right now. I mean, it's it's adding to the genre, but of course, like... It ha- it's, it's never going to take away, and it's definitely going to add variety. Like, it's not going to take away, and... Along with the other black girl, in the last couple months, a couple of books that I read, Kindred by Octavia Butler. Here's the thing. I love my favorite white man author, Ray Bradbury. I do. Yeah. I, can, I can fuck with Ray Bradbury. Right. But Octavia Butler, also a science fiction author, just as good as Ray Bradbury, just as good of a writer, just as good of plots, does not garner the same amount of attention. And I just read a book by her that I had actually been looking for for some time um, called Kindred. Horrifying. So freaking good. Oh, that one makes that one was top good. horror novels. And then on our Written books, by black people yeah. all the time. And then our bookstagram, I just posted another black horror novel, Ring Shout. And that was also very good. Ring Shout, I don't know if you know what a ring shout is. No. It's a kind of like song and dance from African culture. Oh, okay. Um, okay. That they did. No, I didn't know that. Okay, so I had to look it up. I didn't know if you knew. I looked it up yesterday. I was actually just at... I was going to pause this and ask you what the title meant. So, with that being said, what I would say to you as an audience is when you are making choices to read, definitely consider the author. Definitely consider who am I reading. Is it the same kind of author? Right. Or am I... Can I expand my... And I just, I just want to say, like, it's okay to do that. You're not being racist towards white people. If you <laughs> go, let me make an active decision <laughs> to read more black authors or, you know, Native American authors oh my or, God. you know, in any... You One know, of our any... favorite horror books of last year. Oh, The Only Good Indians. The Only Good Indians oh by a God. Native American author. It was so... That was... <laughs> I can't like that that book horrified me and haunted me oh yeah I think about that book a lot yeah it was so good no, it was so good when you're reading this book something you need to keep in mind if you're not a black woman I'm and that's mostly what I'm gonna say about that <laughs> if you're not a black woman you will not relate to every single experience Nella has and that's not the point you're not supposed to necessarily well, and it may make you uncomfortable and it might make you uncomfortable because you might be and you also might be the person that says there's no way that could happen but I can tell you right now, 
based on the research I did. There's definitely a way that can happen. Oh, yeah. People don't understand, especially when they are themselves not a person of color or not a black person, what they face. No. I think it's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that you should be uncomfortable. I think that you may feel inclined to disagree, but that might require you to do some critical thinking on your part. It's not a fun feeling, but it's, it's a necessary one. Well, and here's what the other black girl does well. Yes. It will challenge your worldview. Right. It'll take you on a roller coaster ride of a thriller. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a good read. Damn good read. It's a damn good read. And you know, a lot of people said this was slow. I don't I agree. I didn't think it was I that actually slow. read it in like two sittings. I, I did felt, too. I think, here's my thing, okay? She really contextualizes what corporate America is for black women. Mm-hmm. And that is a large portion of her book. Mm-hmm. And I think when people say, well, there was nothing really happening, there was things happening. <laughs> you just wanted this thriller to be a thriller, like, you know, like you, you can pick up you that know what grocery else? store. And at the time I told you this, this book reminded me of that black horror movie that came out on Hulu. Bad Hair. Bad Hair. So good. So good. So, but also so talking silly. about, it was so silly, but that was also the point. It was yeah. very silly. It was very 80s, good, though. 80s, like, B-movie type of deal. But at the same time, talking about black women in corporate America. So the final point, and this actually is in regards to one of the final scenes between Nella and Hazel. So Harris talks about this idea of the push and pull while working in a corporate setting. And what she means by that is it's trying to tune out micro and macro aggressions. So you can focus on your career and growing your career while also kind of like uh, keeping up with, you know, like the latest bout of police brutality. And that is a very difficult balancing act that she herself went through, but also a lot of black people go through, especially when they are working in corporate America. And we saw a lot of that last year with the protests nationwide a lot of black people are saying this is a very difficult time for us well absolutely the thing about corporate america and this is across the board is that it doesn't expect time to stop for you it doesn't care about it doesn't care about you and the thing with being privileged and being white is that you don't necessarily have to worry about some of those things right maybe the things you worry about are going to be more personal to your life Right. But you also don't have the weight of the fucking world on your shoulders. And, oh, am I going to be the next victim of police brutality, etc., etc., etc. And so there's this push and pull on Nella. Nella and Hazel's final scene. Nella deems herself as being kind of irresponsible with her blackness. Because she has been so overwhelmed with the Hazel situation. And Vera started to overwork her after the incident with Cullen. That... She has not been able to do that end of keeping up with, you know, mm-hmm. the latest in, like, black news almost, like, on mm-hmm. black Twitter. Nella feels like to be a responsible black person, she has to be constantly fighting against white supremacy, constantly kind of on Twitter updating with the latest news of the fight against injustice you Mm -hmm. know and that is a burden that i think white people have majorly placed on black people well and not just white people like non-black people an example of this and this is a story we've heard before on twitter is white people are 
too comfortable with approaching their black coworkers and saying, hey, did you hear about this latest really traumatic event that yeah. happened? Did you hear about this tragedy that has affected only black people? Yes. Like, hey, did you hear about this police shooting? Why, why, why? What is the purpose of that? And I am going to, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's like a way of being like, hey, I'm woke. I paid attention to this. No, no, no. We, you know, but it does it does place the burden back on the black person of like, hey, I would like you to re-experience this terror. Going back to the last scene, it's pivotal in so many ways. One of the ways is that it obviously decides Nella's fate, mm-hmm. but it also goes into the psychology of black people who are working in corporate America, and the burdens that are placed on them in order to rise to the top. That scene epitomizes the book. And Hazel's an asshole. And Hazel is a giant asshole. (laughs) (laughs) That last scene's really good. Um, I know it got a lot of controversy because I think people were disappointed by it. I think they wanted Nella to break down white supremacy with her own two hands. And I think that is helpful. Right. But also not realistic. Um, What I did like about what Harris said about that scene was that scene was specifically what inspired her to write the book. Mm-hmm. Because she had, it wasn't like a weird sinister moment like in the book, <laughs> but she was in the bathroom washing her hands and another black woman comes in and in her head she's like, I've never seen this black woman before. I wonder where she works. I wonder like if she, if she works on a different floor, if she's new or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And they did, they didn't even lock eyes. They said nothing to each other. And she went back to her desk and she's like, what would have happened if she had said something to me like hi Mm -hmm. and for some reason that kind of started her book journey and i think that's so interesting that the ending of the book is the beginning of her book journey so denise who would you recommend this book to yeah um i would this is not denise this is marissa i asked the question i'm deciding to answer my own question just kind of my thing fair um i would definitely recommend this book so if you were writing off of that jordan peele wave of like new black cinema of thriller horror i would recommend this book i would also recommend this book for people who are trying to expand the wheelhouse of thrillers that they have oh yeah let's get past white lady and danger thrillers those Over can be it. great they can be great but you know what let's get past it let's just yeah. move on yeah and i think if you're looking for a new kind of thriller if you're looking for a slow burn this is definitely one for you i agree with all your recommendations I would actually recommend this book to um, women our age, millennials. I think this actually had a great millennial flavor that, without being like too trite. I totally agree as I am a hungover millennial. It's 3 p.m. It's 4 p.m. It's 4.30. What are you looking at? <laughs> I was guesstimating. I also think if you like social commentaries with like a little bit of spice, a lot like Sorry to Bother You, you'll like this. Yeah, Sorry to Bother You is fucked up. For people who like this book or want something else similar, I have Kindred by Octavia Butler. Very good. She is a woman who must travel back in time. Every time the white boy that she's connected to, who's in the era of slavery, she's a black woman in the 70s, Every time his life is in danger, she is somehow transported back to his time and made to save his life. That book gets fucked up real fast. And my other suggestion is Ring Shout, where the KKK is literally demons and the people fighting against them are fighting demons. Super freaking good. So fitting. So short and so magical. 
like literally it's got like mystical elements it's very it's <laughs> it's so fun and it's so good i recommend leave the world behind it's a social commentary sci-fi as well and i think it's really great and character driven all right, so we want to just say thank you so much for listening to our podcast if you made it here. Um, I was looking at the analytics for our last podcast, and some people made it to minute 11 and just dropped out. So. You know, fair, fair enough. enough. Fair if enough. you like us past minute 11, we kiss you on the cheeks. We say thank you. Continue. <laughs> End it. Sing a little song. As always, we appreciate you guys. And we hope that you tune in to our next podcast. We haven't chosen the book. That's going to be a surprise it's for a everyone. a surprise for all of us. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.